Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I had the most wonderful time on Monday talking uh, during the Monday afternoon mix with uh, David Miles and Rosie B. We talked about Psalm 71, and we're going to dig back into another psalm today. I'm excited about that, and we're going to do that with Beverly Canaris. She's a uh, 30-year veteran of Bible Study Fellowship as a teacher and loves to mentor and loves God's Word and loves to share it. And today we're going to talk about Psalm 63, a Psalm of David, when he was in the desert of Judah. I'm excited to learn about Psalm 63. Bev, welcome. Thank you, Bill. Great to be here. Yeah. Well, Psalm 63 has been on my heart all summer. Um, I actually taught a class on memorizing God's Word, how to do that, and the psalm we used was Psalm 63. So I have really done a lot of digging here and a lot of meditating and just going over it word for word as I memorize. And so it's been a real blessing to me. I'm anxious to share it with the audience. Well, you might notice my notebook is out and my pen is in hand. So let's get to it. Let's start. Well, um, the setting of Psalm 63, as you it's right in the scripture. It says, a psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. There's also a reference toward the end of the psalm where he refers to himself as king. So most people agree this would not have been, not have been when he was on the run from Saul, but rather it was when he was already king and his son Absalom led a rebellion against him. Now, if you want to read more about that, there are five chapters in 2 Samuel devoted to that. So David, in this psalm, we picture him fleeing Jerusalem, going out into the desert of Judah, just outside of Jerusalem. I want to give you my big takeaway before we even get started in a verse-by-verse look at this, and I will also give that big picture at the end. My big takeaway from Psalm 63, and after that careful memorization, is that David kept his eyes glued on the Lord during this difficult time. I'm so shocked. He's not like complaining to the Lord. He's not whining about his circumstances. David dwells on thoughts about God. This was the source of his comfort and strength to endure. This was a very personal crisis. This wasn't just one of national crisis, and it was, but it was a personal crisis for him. And, you know, we can find ourselves in a desert away from the familiar and the comfortable. We can find those we love hurting us so deeply, and we can feel rejected and even fear for our life as David was. Like David, though, our eyes have to stay on the only one who does not change, the Lord. David said again and again in many different ways in this psalm, his decision to stay focused upon the Lord and to worship him. Throughout this psalm, you're going to see statement after statement of I will statements. And you know, sometimes don't you need to talk to yourself, Bill? You need to say, this is how I'm choosing to respond to this situation. I will. And David really gives us a model of doing that. So let's begin. Just, you know, picture David in these circumstances as, as we go through this verse by verse. It really helps us to understand the background and, um, 
to, to study and meditate on a passage that we're trying to memorize. So we're going to take this verse by verse, see how much we can get uh, through here with uh, our, our time today. But it's one thing to be betrayed by a friend or an acquaintance, but to be betrayed by your son, a family member, when you feel that betrayal of a family member, it can be heartbreaking of the deepest degree. So how do we cope when we are hit at this very deep level causing untold pain? Well, maybe an illustration would help. Any baseball player will tell you when a hit happens, you got to keep your eye on the ball. In the same way, when a hit of pain happens, we are to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord. If we don't, we're going to fall into an error. We might think and respond outside of God's will. We lose our strength. We lose our hope. When we say fix our eyes on the Lord, we mean to think about his attributes. Think about who he says he is in the Bible. Think about how God has responded to his followers in the past, even in your past. Fix your eyes on his abundant promises in the Bible. So keep that in mind as we go through this, the I will statements and what David is choosing to focus on in his suffering. He has his eyes fixed on the Lord. David is a person who desired God above everything else. And Psalm 63 really displays this. David's life was in danger. You see this as he writes in this psalm that God was better than life as long as I live and also those who seek my life. David not only had the betrayal of his son, but his life was in danger by that son. So let's read verse 1. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. What a description there. I wrote in my Bible a date. Sometimes when something really strikes me for what, what's happening in my life, I wrote in there on in May 2020, I wrote pandemic because I really felt like the pandemic was a gray and and a, a, a time where we didn't have water. We sheltered in place. Our la- lives became all about trying to avoid this pandemic. Um, so many in so many ways, it was a, a desert, a desert in our schools, in our workplace, our social life, even our funerals. I know my father-in-law passed away during this time, and you know it was ten people, mm, ten people. Yeah. It's so sad. And other people we loved passed away and we couldn't celebrate and weddings we couldn't go to. It was definitely a dry time. Uh, David is in the wilderness and he sees his surroundings as a picture of his great need for God. David's situation is so dire. He needs God. His desire for God is expressed in his entire being longing for God. He's longing. He's thirsting. He's parched for God. So this first verse really reminds me of another psalm, uh, Bill, from Psalm 42, verse 1. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. His desire for God was so strong. Do you recognize your greatest desire to be God himself? So often we want the blessings of what he wants or we want his, his hand to do something for us. But do we really long for him? You know, often we can look to other things Uh, that do not satisfy us, that do not help in the time of need. Maybe they'll temporarily help, but it, it, it always falls short. What we need most in life is to keep our focus upon him. And this is what David is doing in his crisis. Uh, Verse two, I have seen you in the sanctuary. I beheld your power and your glory. 
This verse is filled with meaning. David is remembering back to how God has shown himself to him. In the past, David has seen God's power, his glory, and was confident in it. He had seen God in the sanctuary. So this, to me, is a picture of being together with God's people. We see God's glory and his power as he's worshipped as a group of his people. I certainly felt that after coming back from watching online. (laughs) I certainly felt that difference, especially in worship, of being there in person, the importance of this. We need this in the body of Christ. This pandemic, I think, has fed into Satan's lie that we can go it alone. We don't need church in person. If we think like that, we are going to miss beholding his power and his glory demonstrated when God's people gather. So that was, uh, uh, again, pandemic-related for me. Verses 3 and 4, let's look there. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. As I mentioned, the words I took note of, and as I read here and memorized, was the I wills. David is being deliberate in his seeking after God in his painful situation. David is choosing to treasure God more than any earthly position or person. This mindset is a great defense against despair, depression, and isolation. As I was memorizing this third verse on a Sunday, I sat in worship and the songs echoed this truth that his love will never fade or betray His love will live beyond my present life into eternal life. So truly, his love is better than life itself, than anything we could experience here. Love that thought. And what are some specifics of what David will do? Well, he's going to use his lips to glorify God. So instead of cursing the circumstances, complaining, he's going to keep his head up and looking at the ball, looking at the Lord. I wonder, are you asking, is it possible to glorify God in such pain? You know, to do that is really supernatural, Bill. We can't do it in our flesh, but when we keep our eyes upon God and keep our thoughts and our mind upon him, he will give us that ability to glorify him, to see the good, and to carry on and have the strength we need for the situation. God then gives us the eternal perspective on the situation, so in all situations, we can give thanks. Then David makes a solid commitment that he's going to praise God as long as he lives. If God continues to give him breath, David will use the breath, his life, to exalt God. I recently saw a quote that really explains for us this idea of lifting up our hands in the name of God. What does that mean, really? Why do we do that in some surfaces? Why do some Christians worship that way? Well, an interesting quote from Pope Benedict um, it's, he said this about lifting of hands. Lifting of hands is the radical form of worship to open oneself to God and to surrender oneself completely to him. David's lifted hands really were a symbol of his surrender to God. So, listeners, what painful experience do you need to surrender to God today? Will you lift up your hands in in an act of faith, relinquishing your pain to God, trusting him to bring that good out of a very hard situation? Verse 5, I will be satisfied as with the richest foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Here's another I will statement. Uh, Remember his circumstances. 
He's in the middle of his son uh, conducting a coup against his reign. David is in the wilderness hiding out. He's probably not eating like he did in the palace, certainly, right? But he had a satisfaction of soul that gave him more than the richest meal. David is choosing to savor God. What an example this is to us. You know, I have to ask myself, is God enough? Is he enough in this very difficult trial right now? Are we choosing to savor and to quench ourselves on him, even in a dry and hungry season of our life? David is going to savor God as he uses his lips and his mouth to praise God instead of sitting down to the table for a king. To me, this is a literal statement. He was going to focus on singing praises to God instead of what he was eating. He is using his lips and his mouth. Interesting that this is all in the same verse. He uses his lips and his mouth to lift up praise to the Lord instead of a plate and a cup. I think it could also be a picture of fasting. He's foregoing food in order to pray and to be with the Lord. Mm -hmm. Bev, let's take a short break. We're studying uh, Psalm 63 with Beverly Canaris. And if you've got your Bibles open, Psalm 63, we're going to come back and pick up on verse 6. We've got about uh, five more verses to go. I think we can do it. We'll take a short break and be right back. I love studying the book of Psalms. Right now we're in Psalm 63 with Beverly Canaris. She's a Bible study fellowship teacher for over 30 years and loves to teach and coach and mentor and encourage, and she does it all so beautifully. Right now we're in uh, Psalm 63, approaching verse 6, unless you have anything more to say on verse 5. Well, if they miss the first half, go to the podcast and listen after that, because we're going to pick it up in verse 6, where David is in this crisis where his son is trying to take over the kingdom from him, and David is on the run for his life. And we read in verse 6 in Psalm 63, On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. You know what I think is David is saying here? He has some sleep issues. And sleep issues are so common to all of us. Maybe it's a season or maybe it's even more chronic. So what he is doing with his mind as his eyes are wide open, he is thinking about God. Remember, he's keeping his eye on the ball, which is God, remembering what's true about God. You see, David is not alone in the middle of the night as the hours pass very slowly. The Lord is with him. You know, when we're awake and our we should turn our thoughts on God and fellowship with him. This is really a key to David staying in the moment and staying, keeping their eyes on him. You know what we usually do, though, in the middle of the night, rather than to think about God and communion with him, we, we replay the events <laughs> that are maybe keeping us awake, or we worry about a loved one. I don't know what it is, but if it may not have bothered me all day, but then I lay down and that's when it starts to kind of hit me when I feel powerless laying down. Or you're wrestling with the covers or, you know what, you can just get darn angry that you can't sleep. Was this David? Remember this verse. David said, I will remember and think on God through the watches of the night. You know, a little trick that I've done is when I can't sleep, I will go through the attributes of God A to Z. 
and try to think of all of the different attributes of who God is. So I'm really concentrating on him or repeat my memory verses, see if I can do that. Um, And sometimes that helps. Verse 7, let's go on, see more about what David is doing here in this very hard situation he's in. He re- we read in verse 7, Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. David's expectation for what he needs in this difficult situation is the expectation that God's got this. This reminds me of Peter when he tried to walk on water. What was his plea as he started to sink? Help! And and David is saying here, because you are my help. In a general way, humanity, in our sinful rejection of God through sinful acts on their way to judgment, we need help. More specifically, we need a helper and we need a savior. Jesus is that helper. To be under his wings, because he's, he's our helper now, and, and he goes on to describe that as being under the Lord's wings, which is really an image of protection. We are given protection from God's wrath as we receive Christ as our Savior. We are also protected in so many ways in everyday life. We may not know until we get to heaven. Won't that be interesting to see where God had stepped in to uh, give us that kind of protection? I have prayed to God for protection of me, for my loved ones in so many, many situations. But what a beautiful way uh, to to praise God's protection, singing in the shadow of his wings. So that wing is over us. Can you picture that if you're in this trial situation right now, whatever it might be, that his, you, you can sing in the shadow of his wings. The situation may not change, but you still have him and his presence in your life. And then in verse eight, I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. I get a picture here in my mind when I read this. I see me with both arms around Jesus's neck, clinging, securely wrapped around me, however, is his right arm. I think it's up to me to hang on, but actually, it's the strong arm of God that keeps me safe. Clinging is another word for abiding, abiding with Christ. Clinging is thirsting for God. Clinging is wanting and needing him. You know, when Scripture talks about the Lord's right arm, it's speaking of his power or his strength. One verse I think of often is Numbers eleven twenty three, where the people were in the desert and they were complaining that all they had to eat was this manna, you know, the big complaint. And God says, I'll send meat. And Moses says, oh, yeah, right. How much meat would it take to feed this crowd? And the Lord answered Moses, is the Lord's arm too short? Now you will see whether or not what I say will come true for you. God rules with a mighty arm. God cares tenderly for us with his mighty arm. He carries us in our weakness, and his arms, we're told in Deuteronomy 33, are everlasting arms. They never leave us. The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Deuteronomy 33, 27. So are you clinging? Good. You are clinging to one whose arms are never too short, never too weak to act on your behalf. I wonder, listeners, do you believe this in your desperate situation today? Well, let's take a peek at these last three verses in Psalm 63, verses 9 through 11. Verses 9 and 10 we'll take together because they're kind of one thought. And the tune of this psalm really changes a little bit here in verse 9. 
Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. The reason I really wrestled with this passage is because of what I read in 2 Samuel 18.5. So David and his group are fleeing Absalom. They're they're leaving the city. And as the, the soldiers march out with him, he says to them, Be gentle with the young man Absalom for my sake. And all those troops heard the king giving orders concerning Absalom to each one of the commanders. Now, we know in a, another text that the battle between Absalom and his men and David and his soldiers took place in a very forested area. Now, Absalom was known for having this great head of hair, such a big, thick mane, but it actually literally became a snare for him. He got that great head of hair caught in the branches of a tree and so hanging midair while the mule he was riding on kept on going. That's from Second Samuel 18. A soldier sees Absalom hanging there, but he wouldn't touch him. He goes and tells Joab, David's general, and Joab says to the soldier, why didn't you strike him right there? And the soldier responds that it was because David said to protect the young man Absalom for David's sake. Joab goes on and strikes Absalom dead. Now, if David said this, why would he write these verses about the fate of his enemies, that he that they would be destroyed, go down to the depths of the earth, they'd become given over the sword, food for jackals? Why did David say that if he felt that way about Absalom? I'm not sure I have the answer completely, but I can tell you what I surmise. Absalom was not his only enemy in this situation. David had many of his close advisors who deserted him and went to serve Absalom. These would be considered enemies as well. They made themselves his enemies by their defection. And also we read when David was fleeing from Jerusalem, a man named Shimei cursed David and even threw stones and dirt on David and called him a murderer. Now, they wanted to take revenge on this man right away, of course, his soldiers, but he said, no, I'm going to take this abuse, refuse to let his men defend him. He said, because maybe God told him to curse him, or maybe the Lord will pity David and restore his covenant blessing. My thought is that David is fleeing, and he was fleeing many enemies. He had been betrayed by so many. He only asked that Absalom be dealt with differently from the rest. Yet David is somewhat prophetic too, because Absalom falls by the sword. Another head scratcher here is praying for uh, his, the harm of his enemies. These are called imprecatory psalms. And what David is really doing here is he's calling on God's justice to prevail. So, again, uh, we see here, what did David do in this personal crisis? The lesson here is that David knew how to live under pressure by choosing to turn to God with his trials and uncertain future. While being hotly pursued, David pursued God. Can you, can I? In our trials, say that I will earnestly seek God. What does seeking God involve? Personal relationship, my God. It means always wanting more of him, to seek, to thirst him. It means that God fills you up and strengthens you. So what has been your greatest takeaway from this psalm? It's a real treasure. Yeah, that for me, I think there are a couple of verses in there I'm going to really focus on. But it's been a great study. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. It's a joy. Yep, Beverly Canaris has been my guest. We will take a short break and be right back. Let's get 
I'm glad to have Dwight Nordstrom in studio with me. Dwight has over 30 years of experience doing business in China. Dwight serves as the chairman of PRI, which stands for Pacific Resources International. He gives leadership to PRI's 28 equity investments, 5,000-plus employees, and he offers his expertise consulting with new business ventures that are entering the China market. But his big love is for Jesus Christ and for taking the message of the gospel uh, to brothers and sisters in China. Dwight, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here and the home state of my wife, Jewel, who's also been in China for 35 years, and her father-in-law up in Brainerd and Faith Baptist there. We give a shout-out. Hello. Nice. I have to be careful what kind of questions I ask you, and I'm sure you have to be somewhat careful in the kind of answers you give. Yes, but let's just go after it. I mean, okay, this good. is the time for the church to rise up yes. and to pray and to uh, love Chinese. Okay, let me ask you just kind of a question about how China handled the the coronavirus. You said they shut down for about 10 days? Uh, our factories uh, only shut down for about 10 days. Uh, to give you an example, people have asked me, did the Chinese government know about coronavirus? I can say at the local China level, they did not. We had two of our lunar annual parties, 300 people in one on January 10th of 2020, another 700 on January 15th, and by the 23rd, they had shut down the entire province of 60 million people uh, there in Hubei. But in those parties, we had tables of government people, and they stayed, and there was no mask or anything. So Mm -hmm. at a national level, probably yes. At a local level, no. Uh, How they handled it was that they did a -a whack-a-mole strategy, which is if it popped up, they just shut down everything with typically 20 to 30 kilometers, uh, depending upon the density of the urban area or rural area where it occurred. So they were able to stop the spread. Uh, Even today, less than 20% of our workforce has actually received the Chinese vaccine. The, The international vaccines are not yet allowed in China to date. Um, They're not as effective, but... If you're talking actual death rate uh, and those that were infected, I would say China's, the results have been in the top 10 of all the world's countries. Uh, now the question going forward, they will not be able to open nearly as quickly because the people are, don't have effective vaccines. There's no herd immunity. And so coming out of this, China will still probably be closed for another year, uh, which is one of the reasons I'm in the Twin Cities, uh, meeting with about 10 factories who have customers in China, who have supply chains in China, who have employees in China, and they didn't visit these people in person since fourth quarter of 2019. You will not have any short-term trips to China until the middle of 2022 at the earliest Mm -hmm. without going through a 30-day, in essence, quarantine on average. So uh, people are really struggling with how do we maintain quality, innovation, et cetera. And it's a real problem. Mm-hmm. Now, in your factory, I think you've got a couple of thousand. Does that sound uh, right? We've, aver- we've averaged, yeah, we've had total close to 5,000 so overall, but we've had some exits and sales. Okay, so let's take your staff and then multiply their families. And- we've, had, we've had no COVID cases. Let's just say we've got 4,000 among employees and their immediate families. Right. We've not had one single COVID case. And in, that I can say definitively. Yeah, right. In China. In China. <laughs> All right. So that's... I'm, I'm not a protagonist. No, I know. I'm, you know, this This is, look at the 
the the Chinese Communist Party uh, is a highly autocratic, highly centralized. It's got lots of challenges that don't meet with what I call liberal democracy. But in terms of stopping the spread, uh, they were quite effective in terms of within their own population. Mm, all right. So, Dwight, let me ask you this. With what's going on in China right now, how does that affect my life, my job, my um, career as a student back here in the U.S.? Yeah, so... I'm not a student, well, by the way. So, I'm just making generic so let, Well, engineering, I mean, <laughs> let, let, let's talk about business. Okay. So most Minnesota businesses should be, if they're international companies, they should be doing roughly 20% of the revenue with China. They should be doing another 10% with countries that trade more with China and the U.S. Right now, 70% of the world's countries trade more with China than with the U.S., uh, which is a ma- massive flip from the 1990s, which was almost nothing. So the, so the world is breaking up into sort of two groups. And if you're going to be a national business, you've got to be selling in both. You've got to be improvising and improving products to meet the local market needs. So China-knowledgeable people from Minnesota, from the upper Midwest, great opportunity to, if you're a world-class company, to get involved here, but you need to have people living and working in China, engineering teams, sourcing teams, et cetera. So you can't stop it, but you will not be able to make short-term trips for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of prayer life, I think this calls for increased prayer life. Uh, the, you know, we know about Xinjiang. Well, there's about 12-plus million Uyghurs. Uh, but by the way, there's lots of people of Christian faith in Xinjiang that have also gone through the reform through re-education camps. Uh, and we've got, you know, arguably 8% of China, which is Christian. We don't know the exact number. Uh, and I think one of the prayers we have to play is, will the church in China rise up to really be a positive force for good within China? If so, the Great Commission to go to the Islamic worlds, parts of India, et cetera, the Chinese church will play a major role in that. And and this is part of, I think, God's plan for the Great Commission. That's fantastic. So Chinese Christians are could be poised to do some If you take the top evangelism. 20 unreached countries yeah. in the world, yeah. almost without exception, for a Chinese national to live and work in their long time and be an incarnational witness, um, it's much easier to do that as a Chinese than as an American. Yeah. This is so exciting. Uh, it, it, it's it's like the you know Romans ro- road and I think but you pray you you pray look at Xi Jinping is a highly autocratic leader uh, the Chinese Communist Party is not the Chinese people but you pray for everybody you pray for all of those because mm-hmm. the Chinese people are absolutely lovely aren't they uh, I think so <laughs> yeah you've been there thirty plus years so you you know on a first hand basis um, the impact that the gospel's having on them and. Uh, I know you've got a ton of stories, um, and it's exciting what God is doing in China right now. Yeah. By the way, text in those questions if you have specific questions. Yeah. Dwight <laughs> has said to any listener that might have a question about uh, China, you can ask away, and he will do his very best to answer any of your questions, uh, 877-933-2484. I know you haven't been back to China in a while, Dwight, but I'm curious as to the uh, attitudes that the world now has about China since the the coronavirus. Yeah, and let's go back a little bit. It really started in about five years into the current, uh, the beginning of the second term of Xi Jinping, and right now he's on unlimited terms. Uh, 
uh, which is a huge change from Deng Xiaoping, which limited the terms of the party chairman, uh, arguably the president on the governmental side, to two terms. Uh, so uh, he's anticipated in 2022 he'll get another five years and another. Uh, and so really in the beginning, about 2016, you had a massive shift in the world. This was before coronavirus, looking at the South China Sea, looking at uh, what was happening in Hong Kong, which has been accelerated since the 2019 National Security Act, uh, where I would say 2010, 80% of people who knew of China, maybe would be called China experts, were positive and optimistic about China's integration into a world order, including just business, international law, accepted norms, uh, and, and frankly, China moved the cheese. Uh, and, and at this point, uh, the flip is opposite. 80% are not. So nonprofits, as an example, if you're looking at uh, charitable donations related, you've now got your donors, your clientele who are like negative on China. What I would say is don't back away from it. You just need to uh, understand what are the new wineskins. In business, you absolutely cannot back away. China is still a wonderful place to do sales, uh, application engineering, uh, sourcing, and other. Yeah. I heard my radio show is not at all popular there. That's what I heard, uh, which is a little bit disappointing, but I'm, <laughs> I'm going to get over that. All right. So what are some of the um, church churches, home churches like, and what are some of the church buildings like, and I, sh- I assume most everything's monitored. Yes, and uh, one of the sad things, and, and I th- it's okay to say this publicly, but after the shutdown in February, late January, for all big meetings, most churches, both House and TSBM, as of today, uh, roughly 19 months later, have not been allowed to be reopened. Oh, that's so sad. So, uh you know, I think here in America, we've got a different challenge of people, you know, churchmanship, church participation. I think, you know, looking at it, is, it's, it's quite differently. I think a lot of people are searching. But in China at this point, uh, it's it's a distinct minority that have been allowed to be reopened versus movie theaters are wide open. I mean, life, once you get with inside of China, you go through the quarantine, uh, you're monitored for your QR code in your phone to go into stores, but that's just to get a green code uh, that you're COVID-free and and you've been, you know, tested or you're COVID-free. Again, most have not had the vaccine yet, though that's been ramped up a lot. It's still a distinct minority, but the churches have not been allowed to be reopened. And so this is being used uh, as, it has been used as a means to uh, really squash public worship. So it's punishment as well, isn't it? It's certainly restrictions. It feels that way. You know, I, I look at Christians. We are great citizens. We are productive for society. We're creative. Any business will tell you, you know, one of the things they need to be is highly innovative. I think uh, Judeo-Christian ethics lead to great innovation. Um, I mean, this is one thing I would encourage in America where there's been a little bit of silencing on all sides. Uh, but we cannot stop people from expressing themselves. We need to be safe harbors for dialogue. And one of the reasons is not just quality, but it's really for innovation. You will not get innovation if you get just yes thinking and you collect just among people in your own think tank. Mm-hmm. If you have a question for uh, Dwight Nordstrom, let me know what it is. If you've got any question about what's going on in China or any of the 
churches or obstacles or what's happening, let me know. You can text the question to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. We'll take a short break and be back with Dwight Nordstrom in just a minute. Welcome back. I'm with Dwight Nordstrom. He has 30 years of experience doing business in China. He's the chairman of PRI, which is Pacific Resources International. And he is uh, here chatting today about his um, ministry there and his work there. And so if you have any questions for him about uh, that, let me know what it is. 877-933-2484. So, Dwight, you were here celebrating in America when the pandemic hit. And so you've been able to unable to get back um, and now talk about what it's like to, do you, did you have some kind of re- reverse culture shock coming back to America? You know, I did, but we can go back to China. The issue is the quarantine with of our course. family. You got to hole up in a small little. With, with for, two high, two wonderful high school girls. For 30 days. For 30, right, de facto with 30 days. Sealed, sealed windows and sealed no contact. windows and you get the, you, the doors sealed until three times a day the meals are delivered yeah. you knock and you wait a minute before you pick up the food how about this dad we ain't doing that <laughs> <laughs> no dad who's the lucky girl that gets to stay with mom and who's the unlucky one that gets to stay yeah. with type a personality right, dad. right right okay so uh big culture shock for me uh my wife is composed differently and she's been able to handle it but I quickly came to the point is I can't be on social media, nor can I watch national news on all sides, you know, from CBS News, ABC to Fox. And part of that is just, just it felt like, so I've been trained 35 years in how to read Chinese papers. In the old days, China Daily, China's, you go to the fifth page, go to the back bottom column. What is the Chinese party trying to communicate to me? Uh, to me, much of the press in the U.S. today, this was my reverse culture shock, was is they're trying to get their end in mind. They're trying to tell me, here's what I should think or believe, not give me the facts and let me make my own dep- opinion. Um, so, you know, I encourage people to to stay open to alternative viewpoints, but to really be careful how media is, is managing your emotions. So you felt like the news on both sides, conservative and liberal, were felt like propaganda to you? They were beginning with what they want me to believe. Okay. And now, and I will say, I mean, I've been doing, uh, you know, interviews with Wall Street Journal, New York Times, uh, across the board for 25 years, South China Morning Post. I mean, and you type in my name, you'll find 20 articles where they've interviewed me and with my work with American Chamber of Commerce on the manufacturing forum. Uh, I would say I've seen that even in China where they would come to me and you know, now my first question to them is, you want to interview me? You want to visit one of our factories? What message are you trying to communicate? And I'll tell you if I can support it or not. More often than not, the last, like, you know, 10, I've had to say, no, you guys, that's not, that's incorrect. You guys are taking a message that's not accurate. Hmm. And, of course, then they don't do the interview. They were trying to get you to cooperate with their narrative? With their, yeah, yes, yes. 
and not looking at the facts and you know look at inductive examples are inductive they're not determinative but i think they're good indication and so i'm trying to give you boots in the ground what's happening among quite a lot of business there now you're using words i don't know what they mean but that's okay okay <laughs> that's okay so what about uh, social media did you well i mean international social media is blocked in china you can exit but i i just said no to that and and it's the the danger there is on both sides both in it, so no, I don't. I don't look at social media. Yeah. Okay. So, what do you recommend for us American folk? Well, I can handle reading the newspapers, even though newspapers, it just it, it takes less of my senses. So, and I can deal with it more dispassionately. But we, but stay open. Look at different alternatives. Look at we're biblical Christians, and there are things that are absolutely sacred, clear, cut. Uh, you know, life. It's it's is all sacred to God. Um, and, and so clearly I would come down on one side of the political spectrum in my historical voting of 40 years, but don't stop talking to other brothers and sisters and finding out what's core and what's secondary mm-hmm. or even third. Yeah. So I'd like to ask about some of the challenges in China. I'm just trying to be very careful about my words. I don't want to use certain words. And I think you know what words I'm trying to avoid using, um, but they're is um, talk about the obstacles to well, uh, China. Yeah, I mean China's uh, treatment of those people in China that express faith in Jesus is more difficult for public expressions of worship than at any time I've been in China since I first went there in business on a longer term basis in 1986, and was there as early as 83, but. the Chinese Communist Party has has clearly said that they see Christian faith as something which is not compatible long-term with the vision they have for society. Of course, we think Christians can operate across political spectrums um, for the good of society. And, you know, I, I would say Christians and Christian values bring high quality and high innovation. Mm-hmm. And I think I have data to prove that within China. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Talk about the Chinese people and how they, what kind of freedoms they have or they don't have under the Chinese Communist government when it uh, comes to their own, um, enjoying their own family life and uh, the work opportunities and also um, the, their faith expressions. So in families, uh, I would say the, the general freedom is similar to what you would have here. It's when groups want to come together where there's more restrictions unless there's pre-approval and getting approvals is more difficult. Okay. Uh, so the larger the group, uh, you know, we, we just recently saw a case where historically if the number was like 250,000 or more of activity on what's called WeChat uh, and they would then start really scrutinizing any of the discussions that went on in there, um, that number has dropped dramatically to not only tens of thousands before they start really trying to monitor that. Um, so, Dwight on a uh, website, China Source, which is a great, is a great, it's a great website. China Source, yes, is yes. a great website. And Joanne Pittman, who's the regular guest yep. on the show as well. Um, it's, it's said on China Source that China is vaccinating a staggering 20 million people a day. Is that well, accurate? Um, I, I would, uh, sorry, Joanne, but it's not. Okay. Uh, in terms of on the field. Okay. Uh, 
there were a couple days where that probably that numbers reach again you're talking 1.4 billion but i can say among i just got the report last week i'm less than 20% of my people are vaccinated currently in about 8 cities in china mm-hmm. they're going to get closer again that vaccine's not as effective i think nobody's questioning that uh and so the whack-a-mole strategy will have to continue and that's why if you've got business or other activity you want to do in china you're not going to get back there for until the middle of next year. Mm-hmm. The, the, the Winter Olympics in Beijing will be just like the Japanese Summer Olympics. It will be a... TV only. Uh, you know, it will be a national, nationals coming only. Yeah, you're not competing in that, are you? Oh. In any division? <laughs> I wanted to see the hockey. I, I know. We were really excited. 2008 Olympics was just wonderful. Oh, so it was, it was wonderful. Uh, China did a fantastic job. We loved it, had tickets to 50 different events, was looking forward to it. At this point, it looks like it's not going to be a no-go for us. Yeah. Talk about some of the uh, crackdown on on Christian uh, leaders in China. Well, again, I would say the one of the largest independent variables would be most churches, House and TSBM, to date, have not yet been allowed to reopen like they were pre-COVID. So that was a a complex sentence, but uh, restrictions have been put on them, uh, and it doesn't appear to be getting much more open at this time. Vis-a-vis, theaters are pretty much wide open, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And then I'd love to learn more about the Uyghurs. Well, the Uyghurs are in northwest China, and international, so I will say this sort of as a third party, international reporting and statistics have shown that probably somewhere between a half a million to a million and a half have been put into what's called reform three education camps. Uh, there's a denial of that. Uh, there's an acknowledgement that some have come. But let's take that at face value uh, that that's happened. Uh, just to let you know, there's been other Christians that have been part of that in the northwest province of Xinjiang. Mm-hmm. And uh, be sure to pray for those people as well. Yeah. Listener says, I'm a small business owner with manufacturing done in USA. If I would want to expand my business and seek production in China, where would I start? What are some good resources to even even begin learning? Wow. Uh, You know, I wonder who said this, but, you know, I I definitely check out our corporate website. Uh, We... We started off as owners of factories and media groups. Uh, Fifteen years after we did that, we had such experience. Uh, we set up a consulting group that's got 40 people. It's a good place to start, PRIUSA.com, right for info, so PRIUSA.com. I did right. not set that one up. Right. Uh, in terms of others, uh, there are certainly other groups, but you definitely need help. Uh, at this point, you're not going to go there, so you got the people that are on the ground. Mm-hmm. We're finding a lot of companies now logistics-wise. So let me just give you a cost thing. So we ship about 3,000 containers a year from China back to the North America and, and to Europe. So 3,000. Uh, our costs have risen from 2019, November, under $3,000, China to the West Coast, Long Beach, to uh, last week, we had to do a shipment of five that was about $15,500. I've heard people have been paying over 20000 So it's a, a inflation, you know, it, it's how long this is going to go on, I think probably the end of the year, but costs are definitely going up. Mm-hmm. And U.S. and China relations, how are we doing? Uh, so the, the Trump and Biden administrations do not agree on much. Okay. But 
the China policy has done has been unchanged. And so there's across the board consensus that China moved the cheese. Uh, you know, obviously, South China Sea, Taiwan, Hong Kong are all issues that uh, both of those administrations have taken objection to. And uh, so the tariffs still exist both ways. Product made in the U.S. shipped to China and vice versa. You can apply for exemptions. We've been more successful actually getting exemptions going into China. Mm -hmm. uh, but we got a rough road ahead. Yeah. And it's a China plus one strategy. What time is it in China right now? We are 13 hours in China ahead of right now. So do you work through the night? Do you ever sleep? Uh, this Zoom stuff and long distance is not as effective. I'm, I'm an in-person. I, men I mentor leaders. Uh, so today I was in four factories, four or five today. Yeah. Um, another, but like on the drive from Brainerd, I had three phone calls with China. They're calling me and we're talking about yeah. people and everything else. Uh, so it, it's, 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 it's challenging. Yeah. Dwight, thanks for being here. It's really my pleasure. Always nice and to talk please to you. pray for the Christians in China Amen. and that more people would hear. Dwight Nord Nordstrom has been my guest. And that wraps up our show for the day. Thanks to all my guests for making this a great show. I'm already excited for our time together tomorrow. If you're just starting to listen to the podcast because it's later, I'm glad you're joining me. I hope you have a great night. Sleep well. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.